0: We are going to be talking about federal policy and other things at the federal level with Grid Strategies, LLC's Rob Gramlich on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri. (sighs) and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from Renew Missouri's Palatial Studios in Northern Columbia. Also joining me from the studios, the producer Philip Forsica. Hey, Philip, how's it going?
1: Oh, pretty good. How are you doing, James?
0: Well, doing great. Uh, Thanks for asking. Um, We have a guest today. We're going to talk a little bit about federal issues. And I know this is something that uh, we don't really speak to specifically here at Renew Missouri because we are a state-based group. Um, but we do have um, we do have uh, Rob Gramlin, uh, who, again, I said was with Grid Strategies, LLC. He's very involved at the federal level and kind of involved with some of the issues going on there. So we want to kind of pick his brain on what uh, we can expect from the new administration what's going on at FERC, uh, you know, some of these other big issues that I'm not nearly smart enough to know on my own. So, hi, Rob. How are you?
1: Good, James. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, yeah, thanks for being on here. Now, I mentioned that you work at this, you kind of do some consulting work. I mean, kind of talk a little bit about your background at the federal level. I mean, why, you know, what, what is some of your, what is some of the work you've done with FERC, with, with some of the other federal policies?
1: Sure. Yeah, I, I work with a lot of renewable energy associations, companies, and then uh, sort of associated transmission organizations. I run a group called Americans for a Clean Energy Grid, and I, I started a separate coalition called uh, it's called the Watt Coalition, but it's about advanced transmission technologies to deliver mm. more over the existing grid because we kind of need to do both, uh, do that and expand the grid. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that's the type of work I do uh, sometimes with uh, states or the grid operators um, or consumer groups uh, as well.
0: Yeah. Get involved with like cases around the country, offering testimony, kind of work. Yeah, I do a
1: fair amount of testimony. Yeah, my, my colleague, Michael Goggin, does a lot of integrated resource planning oh. uh, proceedings. He testifies a lot. Um, I do more of that kind of testifying Congress and FERC on, on yeah. policy stuff.
0: Why, Philip, we just had somebody talking about an IRP process just in our last podcast, didn't we? Yep, Uh, very much so in the city of Springfield. Yeah, no, no testimony there. As a matter of fact, not much public input there, but certainly something I hope our listeners, all five of them, were informed about. Uh, (laughs) So when you talk, so you talk about you work on this group, Americans for um, for Clean Energy Grid. I mean, you know, is that like, is that a trade group?
1: It's a it's a not for profit C three, uh, broad okay, based coalition that uh, includes anybody who's interested in large scale trans regional and interregional transmission, um, which you know usually tends to be those who who want to see clean energy expanded because that's you know grid expansion is key to clean energy expansion. So it's got labor unions. It's got um, uh, environmental groups, uh, renewable companies, associations, um, and uh, a, var- a variety of utilities and different types of companies—the
0: the general people that are going to like get things done.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean fun. it's really fun. To, I mean we, we 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 made a concerted effort a few years ago. We kind of saw. 2021 coming and say wow that could be a actually a big year for transmission policy because increasingly policymakers are getting the getting the message that transmission is key to clean energy Mm -hmm. so we did a lot of advanced work we we put some policy ideas together we put a bunch of reports together saying you know what's the problem what's the policy solution and that sort of thing so we had all that material kind of ready to go you know january 2021 and then we Mm -hmm handed it over to a bunch of committees and administration people and FERC and, and other other uh, folks. And sure enough, 2021 was the biggest year ever for transmission policy. So we got got a lot of stuff in there.
0: So very perscient on your organization's part. Um, so kind of explain, I mean, because this is something that we get asked about a lot here about like, well, what is the future of renewables? What is the future of the grid? And I mean, I guess, you know, we're talking about big stuff here. I mean, when you say it's a big year for transmission, uh, it's a big year for that kind of policy. I mean, can you, in a, in a nutshell, if you're trying to explain this to a five-year-old, why is transmission so important to the to the issue of
1: clean energy? So with the five-year-old crowd, I think we start with, uh, <laughs> um, uh, it, do you, do you notice how it's not very windy here in downtown Washington, but when we went up in the mountains, it was super windy? Uh, you know, you, yeah. you can put wind projects up there. Uh, and then do you notice how, uh, if you look at a weather map, uh, it might be cloudy in one place and sunny in the other. And then you look 12 hours later and it's, it's the opposite. So like, you know, the idea is we have remote renewable resources um, we also have, and maybe this is getting beyond the five-year-old, but we also have uh, cheap land, uh, yeah. which factors into the cost that um, you know we can deliver that those remote resources to uh, population centers, to, to people, and electric load. Uh, But we can also move the power back and forth based on where it's windy or where it's sunny, because it's, you know, it's not windy everywhere. It's not sunny everywhere. Power ends up moving back and forth across these regions if you have a robust enough grid. So those are kind of two different reasons why the grid becomes really important for, uh, for clean energy. So, you know, that's we've been explaining. So that was kind of a lot of that sort of, you know, you know, grid one hundred and one education that we did on the Hill and with Congress and all that. Um, Luckily, uh, there's a fellow who moved into Washington, uh, who didn't need any education about that. He, he, uh, he understood that his name's Joe Biden. He lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and he, you know, he, he, uh, he totally already knew or got somehow had been informed. I mean, obviously he's been around, um, but he knew that and his whole team has been all about this, this initiative. So they've been really, I think, leading a lot of the, you know, policy development and fight and push, and, you know, yeah. some of these provisions. And then we can talk about the specific policies, but there's a bunch of them.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, you hear a lot of grousing on social media about like, why aren't we doing more with Congress and blah, 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 blah. blah. But I think when you look at the administrative efforts regulatory efforts uh, there's a lot to be excited about um and yeah kind of one i just had to say there's no uh there's no visual element to this podcast but you were talking about how there's no wind in dc but you are sitting in front of a painting with a windmill on it which is just i just had to point out because (laughs) it just kind of made me chuckle for a second this is very funny visual element but you but you talk about like i mean yeah one thing that's important for people to realize is there is a lot of land out there where there's a lot of wind penetration a lot of solar penetration and you can build wind and solar there but unless you have a way to move it to where people are going to use it it's not going to do you any good and that's why transmission
1: is so important yeah, yeah. No, I remember working. So I, I spent 12 years with the American Wind Energy Association. Yeah. I remember around 2005 or six, uh, there was a, a young fellow showed up at this conference that he was asking a ton of questions. Uh, uh, red-headed guy, he said his name was Tom Carnahan. And, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and I, I was like, that, that name sounds familiar. So I, <laughs> I, I hadn't, you know, I, I had. Yeah. But, you know, people kind of whispered, yeah, that's that's the, you know, some of the governor and all that. Um, so, you know, he was looking at Missouri and thinking, okay, it doesn't, that state doesn't show up at all on the NREL wind maps. But um, I think he had a different intuition. And then, you know, late a couple of years later, you know, better wind maps came out at higher hub heights. It turns out there's some very good pockets. And in most states are like that. Indiana suddenly appeared as this like great wind resource if you get up with, you know, higher towers and all that. So just kind of shows, you know, technology evolves, but these, these developers have been poking around these spots, looking at maps, doing wind measurements. Uh, and now we got solar developers everywhere and they're all trying to interconnect to the grid. And I think if you polled them, if you went around and ask them, and I'm sure you do, and, you know, if, uh, folks you deal with in, uh, in Missouri, you know, what are some of their biggest challenges? They're all saying transmission now, interconnecting to the grid, uh, you know, takes forever, it's really costly. Um, so the grid constraints are really kind of severe, especially as we, um, you know, look at higher and higher penetrations of renewable resources, because the, the easy sites kind of get picked off and then the harder sites are, you know, really complicated from a transmission perspective. So there are ways to fix that. And, you know, there've been, Uh, different examples like in west texas um, uh, they built out the grid out to this you know amazing resource area and now they're serving dallas and houston you know with this Mm -hmm. uh, west texas wind so you know you can do that but it becomes kind of a matter of public policy and getting all the stakeholders and institutions aligned to kind of you know put together plans to build that type of transmission out to the resource area. Um, so that's, that's why there's a lot of public policy in this business.
0: And what has been about 2021 and about the Biden administration's efforts that you have been so encouraged by and what you think will make a big difference there?
1: Yeah. So the, the infrastructure bill, which now we can call the bipartisan infrastructure law signed by the president in November, had a few different provisions. One was this, um, policy that we we worked on called an anchor tenant provision where let's take let's say there's a long line that crosses a bunch of states high capacity line um it's right now it's really hard to find customers for those lines because it's kind of like everybody benefits so nobody wants to pay they sort of you know sort of feel like you know it's like the government should pay or you know it's sort of public purpose infrastructure so um There is a provision that allows essentially the government to take out uh, capacity contracts on those lines to help get them built. And then later, you know, the wind or solar projects come on and then they pay the government back. And then that money goes back into a revolving fund. And then the government Department of Energy, in this case, can go out and you know do the same thing for the next line. So that's that's one idea in there. Uh, It was proposed originally at 20 billion dollars. Got cut down to 2.5 billion in the process, so it's not transformative by itself. But I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that becomes a, a successful program and then builds up in the in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Um, there's some other dollars in there. Smart grid investment grants can help with these uh, grid enhancing technologies. We're calling them now that deliver more power over existing lines. Uh, a few billion dollars for that. Um, There's a couple of pots of $5 billion for resilience-related initiatives, which could also help for delivering clean energy. And then finally, there's some changes in the permitting um, regime, where if uh, there's a a problem in a multi-state line, there's essentially an appeals process to the federal government to try to resolve it and and issue a permit if necessary.
0: Mm. Because I think, you know, because I'll tell you, um in missouri when we think about these multi-state transmission lines and these things you're talking about the one project that comes to my mind and you're nodding your head is grain belt express (laughs) and i don't think i need to tell you uh the level of challenges that that project is i mean we've literally been talking about that project in missouri for eight years now and it literally in like say Illinois which is a lot bluer, a lot more liberal, a lot more geared towards clean energy than Missouri is they had to you know create a law that overrode an appellate decision to allow that to continue and i you know and what i think it, it, what, it, what it suggests to me is that there you know i the question i have is like well how let me just let me try to like ask this I got a lot on my mind about this, but like, I guess when you're talking about what the federal government can do, how much of that can be hampered by what state governments might not be willing to do from as far as transmission goes?
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of tough cases. Uh, One thing I know this administration's looking at is maximizing every opportunity there is to use existing corridors. So upgrading capacity on existing uh, transmission line corridors. Um, string lines along highways, which, if you talk to most transmission developers, they'll say, Forget about it. The state department of transportation won't answer my phone calls. But, uh, when the federal department of transportation, led by Secretary Pete Buttigieg, says, Mm -hmm. Sorry, you have to start looking at uh transmission along your your uh highway corridors, you know, and 90 percent of the state DOT money comes from the federal DOT, right. you know, that can change. So we're, you know, we're trying to like break open some new opportunities and, uh, you know, there's a line, you know, north of you that um, goes from Iowa into Illinois that's going under, underground along a rail corridor. So that's an interesting right. new uh, opportunity. There will be lines over <clears throat> that are, you know, typical overhead lines that go, you know, across farms and ranches and, and things. Too and um, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, what happens is ninety-nine times out of hundred, the the landowner and the developer reach an agreement. But then there's the one percent, and what do you do? Um, right. You know, this uh, this new law can can change the negotiating leverage a little bit and get states maybe at the table to you know get to yes, perhaps sooner, or find alternative routes that work, perhaps sooner than they otherwise would. They can't just kind of ignore it and and let it uh let it pass so um you know and the federal government uh you know can't actually get involved in in some of the planning um and then uh we can also talk about the legislation here in washington that has not yet passed but i i think uh still certainly could the elements of what was in the build back better bill are still right hanging out there and that has things like uh what is it It's like $800 million for local community support for, you know, counties or towns along the route of a transmission line to give them some, some financial benefit, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, schools and fire trucks and things, you know, as well as technical assistance to get involved in uh, better or different uh, routing and siting. So hopefully some of those things will smooth things out and, and enable you know, people to be engaged and find find constructive solutions.
0: Right. Um, Well, um, and so. So, I mean, you know, and you kind of mentioned the underground uh, transmission line issue. I mean, you know, a lot of people ask that question. Why can't, you know, like when people kind of raise a, a stink about transmission lines I mean. I've always heard that's really expensive to do compared to like a traditional transmission line. I mean, is that, has that been made easier? Has that been made more cost effective? I mean, how has that changed uh, what we have to calculate on this?
1: Yeah, it's been, been made a lot cheaper than it used to be. Uh, it used to be, you know, 10 times the cost or something to underground. And that's, that may still be the case for uh, traditional AC lines, but uh, DC lines, uh, which is the type of technology that, um, you know, Green Express is uh, planning to use, and that uh, the Sioux Green line, the one that's underground along the rail, that's also DC. A lot of these really long lines are DC just because the economics get uh, better for DC if you kind of go through more than three or 400 miles. Um, and though the DC lines you can underground for a lower delta a lower cost difference um relative to overhead and it's something like you know i don't know it's like 80 90 percent more but it's not double and it's not five or 10x the the cost so it's uh, and you know what i hear from developers also is um you know you don't need to underground the entire uh line you can underground in certain parts where you may have you know uh visual issues with a local community or you know you might be going by a military training ground or something you can underground parts of it but that's a lot cheaper than undergrounding the whole thing
0: mm-hmm. so i mean that is something we might see be seeing more of you think
1: yeah yeah more of not everywhere and and i, I would not like to see it a requirement because i just don't think yeah that, i mean it's, it's already transmission is expensive enough it's you know you don't want to add costs if you don't have to
0: Right, right, right. Um, but I mean, certainly I think that could help with the political will I mean. Like, as what I see, you know, what we're seeing in Missouri is you see, or, you know, pretty well-funded, well-organized groups like the Missouri Farm Bureau, Missouri Cattlemen's Association, they are adamantly opposed to grain belt, even though it has been <laughs> approved by regulators and trying to undo that, which has got its own problems in, it, in itself. But it is just one of those things that, I mean, it's it's good to hear, you saying that the federal government is thinking about those sorts of things and being mindful of them and trying to avoid uh, that being a problem. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because another thing I hear, and this, and I know this kind of, and this is something that deals with at FERC, uh, and maybe we can tie it, deal into this a little bit. We've talked about this on previous podcasts about the energy markets the transmission organizations, we have two of them in Missouri, the Southwest Power Pool in the Western part of the state, MISO on the Eastern side. And you hear a lot of developers talk about how there's a backlog, you know, like they are building solar here, they are building wind here, but they just can't get on the grid. And is there anything like that's being done to try to speed that along? Or is there anything that can be done to speed that along from the federal level?
1: Yes, so the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, led by Chairman Rich Glick, uh, is, uh, has as its top priority, I believe, the uh, the, the reform of those interconnection cues and uh, uh, transmission policies that are really intended, I think, to address the root cause of those problems, which is limited transmission capacity. So FERC has this proceeding open People in the industry call it the ANOPER, which stands for Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. Uh, and they put out a bunch of proposals. Um, uh, and it's, it's helpful probably for your listeners to just understand the situation. So you, you have this, this uh, completely broken process right now where mm-hmm. uh, you, so let's say you're just, you're a developer, you got a nice piece of land, uh, and you got a great project. You might even have customers. Uh, so you file for interconnection with, uh, let's say, MISO, the mid-continent Independent right. System Operator. Um, and they tell you, well, that's that's nice, but you know, there's there's you know, 500 projects ahead of you in this queue. Uh, and you know, and so you say, you know, all right, why are there why are there so many? And it turns out. They will study each project for its impact on the broad kind of shared backbone network and then say, oh, it turns out you kind of uh, cause the need for more capacity in the big backbone network and then, you know, so it you, you costs you $50 million on your $100 million project to interconnect and, and so your reaction is well that's, there's no way, you know, a 50% increase in my cost is going to fly so um you know thanks you know i've been here in the queue for three years now i got this you know number from you but i'm just gonna have to drop out and so you drop out of the queue and then but then it turns out by you dropping out all the other projects uh, that came in after you now have to be restudied uh, and they get a different number and then a bunch of them drop out so there's this churn and there's this incentive Um, that the system creates for the project developers to submit multiple requests at multiple places on the grid. And now you're just, now you're, you know, exponentially increasing the the amount of projects in this queue. So it's just, it's a process breakdown um, where, uh, you know, we just need a new system. The main part of the new system is let's, let's uh, plan forward a little bit and think about where are the projects likely to be again going back to that west texas case this this issue is actually easy in texas because they they built out the grid to west texas and then you just file the connect they don't study whether what you know how much backbone network you know you as a project need they're not studying like the interstate highway usage they're just saying well can you you know, is your driveway suitable to connect up to the road system? And that's all you need to do. And so that's just simple, quick and cheap. So we're trying to get to the simple, quick and cheap approach in the, uh, uh, you know, in the rest of the country. Texas isn't regulated by FERC, so it has its own system, but the rest of the country is regulated by FERC and FERC is trying to fix that now.
0: Do you think they're going to be successful in that effort?
1: I think they will. I mean, it's a top priority. Uh, They've got a lot of high, you know, quality staff at the agency. They can't do everything. But if you put them all on one big problem, I think they can solve it. And I mean, we've certainly put in a bunch of ideas that we think are very workable. I did a a report. This goes back to the, you know. hoping and expecting this scenario would unfold but back in 2020 we uh we wrote this big report about um what a FERC planning rule reform could look like and we, we put it out in January and we did this webinar we had every former FERC chair back to 1993 on this webinar come in and say yeah FERC should do this it's time um, so I think there's a lot of uh, support and interest in uh, in doing that and there's there's at least three out of five commissioners who I think are interested in doing it. So there's a majority. Hopefully they'll get four. I doubt they'll get all five of them on board, but I think they've go. got enough to go forward.
0: Here's something I know we didn't talk about in advance, but it's kind of interesting to me and I'm kind of wondering where it's at. And if you don't know, we don't know, but I we've been kind of involved with the Southeast Energy Marketplace team because the Missouri co-ops here uh, are not a part of SPP or MISO, but they were wanting to join that. It's not really a transmission organization because it's just between the utilities that would be in this area that is like going to include like Georgia, (laughs) North Carolina, and some of these other places. And I mean, can you kind of, do you know anything about, because I know that kind of got approved when there was like kind of a transition in leadership at FERC. I mean, is that being undone what is the process where where is that i mean where is that at where's seam at
1: yeah um yeah they had to uh they had to approve it by operation of law meaning they they couldn't get an order out um under the uh statutorily determined deadline because i think they were locked to two they had an even number of commissioners uh and if you don't reject it or accept it it goes into effect so yeah. i think it went into effect on that basis i think there's still certainly you know concerns that are going back and forth about sort of the governance and who gets to participate and if you're right. sort of like in the club what information do you get how transparent mm-hmm. is it those sorts of governance questions um but yeah and and uh the applicants i think have filed some uh, some updates to it um, but, you know, I think it is planning to go forward. I don't know what the start date is at this point,
0: mm-hmm. but it is something that's, I mean, certainly interesting because you are seeing a, a big part of the country that was not otherwise part of any regional transmission organizations who are going to be in theory, like kind of able to trade uh, power between themselves at least.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it isn't, an, uh, an indication and a recognition by, Uh, a lot of the utilities that are certainly not viewed as uh, among the more progressive utilities in the country (laughs) that, uh, (laughs) you know, that large regional markets really are helpful and necessary as we go to a greater renewable energy penetration system. And they're, they're seeing that. And a lot of them have their own kind of corporate goals on decarbonization and they see how cheap wind and solar are. Obviously some of them were betting all uh, you know, betting, you know, big time on nuclear and doubling down and tripling down and digging deeper into that hole. But, um, I think they're, they're, they're all uh, going for a fair amount of renewables. So they want to move power around the region and they wanted to, you know, do it on their own terms as they do. And they wanted to kind of keep FERC out of it and and not be as uh, probably open and transparent as say MISO and SPP are, but, um, uh, you know, it does at least show the, the, uh, the necessity of that physical movement of power in a kind of a short-term market trading type of system. And so, you know, given where we are, I hope the thing just gets, gets better. Like, um, you know, if you remember back to SPP when it got started 20 or so years ago, um, I think about 19 years ago, FERC approved it. Uh, It was a very rudimentary and basic RTO. Like the trading system was not very, sophisticated it was just very simple and but Mm -hmm. every year they kind of kept going back and doing sort of a benefit cost of well should we add this or that functionality and they kept saying yeah that would be beneficial and you know today it's a it's a very advanced rto and it gets you know at times around 85 percent of its energy is coming from wind and you know there's no way it could be doing anything close to that if it hadn't kind of gone through that progression of developing into a sophisticated rto
0: yeah yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> I mean, that's what I've kind of told some of these other ad- advocates in the southeast. I'm like, well, you know, associate electric can't do much worse. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, while you might be worried about whether or not in North Carolina that there might be limitations that this presents with renewable energy, I'm like, we we can only go up from here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. I totally agree. But also, you know, one thing to keep your eye on is, you know, watch out for anybody pulling out of SPP or MISO or oh, PJM yeah. um, by saying, Oh, well, look, there's the seam option. Maybe I'll just rather do that, yeah. which would be a horrible backward slide. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd hate to see that.
0: And it's also expensive to back out of one of those RTOs. And then, I mean, like several, it's like, it's not. Is it ten million or twenty million or something like that to back out? Yeah, I don't know. They're it's really a sad. lot. I mean, it's like that's pocket change to a <laughs> to a uh, investor in utility. I mean, you're talking about ten million here, twenty million there. We're going to be talking about real money eventually. But I mean, it is. It is a bit of a. I mean, it's a process. But yeah, I guess that's true. Like they could just say, like, well, that's less transparent. I don't have to deal with all this other stuff. So maybe I'll just join. Yeah. Wow. That would not be great. Um, yeah. Good to know. Good Keep to an think. On it. Let, Another thing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if 2021 was good in terms of, you know, moving towards, you know, more transmission, you know, kind of as you had foreseen, I mean, what are you seeing about 2022? Did we get a lot done in 2021? So we don't have to worry as much in 2022. What do we need to be looking for this year?
1: Yeah, so we got a couple months left before the legislative window shuts in this election year, right? Um, you know, members like to go back and campaign, and they they lose uh, focus on legislation. And that I don't know. Sometimes people say oh, that's in April. Sometimes they say June. I, I think we might have till May or June to get hmm. get more done. But there is uh, there are some important clean energy policies that were in the the bill formerly known as Build Back Better. Yeah, uh, And those included 10-year tax credits for wind, solar storage, and for the first time ever, transmission. Mm. So kind of the big, long-distance, high-voltage lines um, uh, would have a ta- 30% investment tax credit. So that's that would really be important for the, the transmission agenda. And, of course, a standalone storage tax credit would be really helpful for that.
0: Uh. Um,
1: and the, uh, you know, the renewable tax credits that, you know, when I was at AWEA, we, we you know, we'd pass those like a year at a time. Um, you know, a great win was getting two years. Well, this is 10 years. So if that passes, that would be a huge win um, for uh, clean energy. Um, and so I'm hopeful those can pass. I, didn't, I think those uh, climate-related provisions do have sufficient votes in both this House and the Senate. Yeah, um, it's just very difficult to uh, you know it's been hard to uh, figure out all these you know, there's all these other non-energy items that are in some cases not acceptable to Senator Manchin or um, yeah well. And so.
0: our group, Renew Missouri, Philip specifically has been working on a provision of the bill known formerly known as Bill Back Better about uh, helping rural electric cooperatives transition to clean energy, trying to help reduce their USDA back debt. We've been working on that for close to two years. You know, we, you know, we had a belief that they, it might get moved into some other version of this. I mean, do you do you feel? I mean, and I know that was complicated because then Senator Lujan had a stroke. <laughs> he was vote number 50. Um, then, you know, we now have a Supreme court vacancy that is going to take a lot of oxygen and we got a land war in Europe. So <laughs> there's a lot to worry about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. Well, um, James, we're talking today. So your listeners know, it's the day of the state of the union speech for the president That's true. and, um, yeah. You know he, uh, you know, by the time anybody listens to this, they'll know how he tries to balance that. But it's a, it's a tightrope. I mean, how do you, how do you talk about Ukraine and you know clean energy tax credits in the same speech? Um, Right. It's a, it's a wild time in terms of putting all these together. But you know, I think and expect, and of course, people can tell me afterwards if I'm way off the mark that, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna push for significant clean energy policies to you know, really make it a, a dent in climate and capture this moment where, you know, there is an opportunity to act on climate. And of course, most of the Democrats and the progressive base really want to see action on climate. And I think he's got the votes to do it. So I think he's going to push it and say, let's, you know, we can't, you know, we can't be fully consumed abroad. We've got to get some things done here at home, too. Yeah. So I think he'll say that. But obviously, he's going to talk a lot about Ukraine and Russia and that situation. Yeah.
0: War is no time for nuances, I understand that, but it does seem to me that there is this effort. I, I've seen this with our junior senator here in Missouri, Josh Hawley, to make an argument that this crisis should require us to start producing more domestic oil, domestic gas. It's a convenient argument for someone whose in-laws are <laughs> in the oil industry, <laughs> in case no one knew that about Senator Hawley, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, And so, I mean, there is some, you know, again, anytime there's a war, anytime there is a conflict, it is almost entirely involving, or there is a big portion of it involving resources. And most of those times, those resources involve energy. And I don't think this is any exception to that. I'm not trying to shoehorn my stuff into this, but it does seem to me that we do get into a lot of issues about you know, you know, we do seem to get into a lot of global affairs over this sort of thing. And then, you know, I mean, you could say that almost trying to build this up and trying to build up, you know, moving away from that dependency is only going to help yeah, us absolutely. get out of these conflicts.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, on your first point, there are going to be a lot of members of Congress who join Holly in that. Um, yeah, you know that view that we need to really build up domestic oil and gas production for both domestic right. and uh, European and global use. So I think we're going to hear a lot of that. Of course, you know, growing renewables both here and in Europe would also displace a fair amount of that and displace fair yeah. amount of Russian gas. Um, so you know that's you know that's very beneficial from a national security, global security perspective as well. So you know, hopefully, that gets some. Some play and attention here. Obviously, uh, Europe has always been thinking about energy security different, differently than than we have. Sure, and, I mean they've they've always been, you know, uh, at uh, Putin's, you know, um, uh, you know, that, that just uh, you know, vulnerable to whatever he wants to mm-hmm. do. And you know, they still are. And and uh, right now, boy, they'd love to be off of that Russian gas.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. i mean it does seem like and especially because you've got so much of that going over ukraine yep. to get to the rest of europe man i had no idea we we're going to be going in this direction <laughs> <laughs> I know, but this is how I'm, complicated yeah, all yeah, of know. this is i yeah. you know it, it is i mean when, once you start thinking about this energy and renewables becomes a conversation could becomes part of a conversation of something much larger and you've got to be thinking about that when you're trying to tackle some of these other problems. In addition to that being a problem in itself. So, I mean, deep thoughts from James Owen here, folks. Uh- yeah,
1: no, that's right. Well, <laughs> like, like, like most uh, energy policy wonks, I subscribe to the theory that you could look at, you know, like most historical, significant historical events through an energy lens and, and uh, you know, find, oh, you know, that makes a lot more sense now.
0: I mean, Hanukkah is almost entire, like, you know, you think about like even like a very holy sacred um, holiday is based on you know procurement of heating oil. I mean, you know, I mean, like <laughs> you can go all the way back to the Maccabees and all that. Um yeah. So so with 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 your work, I mean, kind of just if one of people want to learn more about some of the things you're working on as we're wrapping up, I mean, where would you direct people to, to go? How would they learn more about some of your work?
1: Yeah, we got a bunch of papers on um, our uh, website, gridstrategiesllc.com. We put mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff up there. And yeah, we write about, you know, a lot of federal policy, We write about, um, you know, market design and markets for clean energy. Um, there's also a, a project, I helped uh, create called the Future Power Markets Forum. They can get that on mm. powermarkets.org um, about what are these power markets supposed to look like 10 years or more in the future with a high renewable Aww. penetration grid. Uh, so that's an interesting project. And then the uh, we talked about um, Americans for a Clean Energy Grid. That's cleanenergygrid.org. Right. And the Watt Coalition is watt-transmission.org. So those are the main projects we're involved with.
0: And yeah, and I mean, and, and you and you have you have a lot of confidence in how twenty twenty two is going to look, how it's going to shake out.
1: Yeah, well, you were asking about twenty twenty two. I mean, so twenty twenty two, you know, we we got these remaining provisions of the Build Back Better that yeah. you know, they could get carved out and passed, and I'm very hopeful that they will. So that that's uh, you know, over the next kind of few months here, we got a window for those. Um, after that, after say June, you know, the legislative window sort of ends. And um, I don't expect 20, you know, the end of 22 or much legislation in 23 or 24, really. So th- this really has been our moment. It's it's not that quite the end of the moment, a couple months left in this uh, legislative window here to get some big stuff done um, and hopefully we'll get some more done. But then, you know, after that, I think it turns to implementation at the Department of Energy, hoping for some, mm-hmm. you know, leadership there to push on transmission and power markets. And then, uh, you know, a lot of uh, opportunity at, at FERC. And they've got, um, they're, they're, I think, going to try to get a lot done here in 2022 by the end of the year.
0: All right, Seems like a lot to try to get done in four years.
1: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I remember when, uh, after this election, you know, a year ago, uh, a year and f- three or four months ago, People were saying this is the moment to take care of all of our climate problems. Yeah, and, and uh, you know that's that's kind of scary to measure our progress by that standard because that that's such an ambitious standard. And no, we're not yeah, really close to uh, meeting full decarbonization targets with the policies were passed. They're passed, or even, you know, I guess we get we get a lot closer if these remaining provisions pass. But um, you know, still probably not all the way there.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and then you see, I mean, since we've kind of like put a timestamp on this podcast yesterday, we had another report get released uh, that didn't really have a lot of optimistic things to say. I haven't read it, but I mean, certainly it does seem like we are in mitigation mode at best.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're living. We're trying to undo uh, and make keep this yep. from
0: getting worse.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're like we're like li- living, you know. The coronavirus, COVID, is endemic, and uh, climate change is endemic now. We're living with both, so there we go. Happy yeah. note to end on. <laughs> Sorry. Well, the time
0: to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll certainly be writing about this a lot. I think. Yeah. Uh, but look, like,
1: uh, you know, maybe you notice. Uh, there's broad recognition from all the utilities and policy yeah. on both sides of the aisle that wind and solar are have to grow dramatically and will grow dramatically so you know it yes. was 17 gigawatt wind year last year and uh, you know the, the industries are just going bank gangbusters and they have to and they need to hire a lot of people and, and keep going so that's you know got a lot of work to do
0: a lot of work to do and we will be doing that at the state level you'll be doing it out in DC at the federal level and it's going to take a lot of people getting this done absolutely including all of you out there is that Rob, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. I would, I would love to have you on again. If we could talk about more specific stuff, I just kind of wanted to hit like the high points here. So you were great. Thank you. Sure thing. And thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard today uh, subscribe to this on any uh, major podcast platform, leave a review, share this on your social media um, uh, uh, postings and make sure that other people get to see it. On behalf of Renew Gurus, I'm James Owen, uh, wishing you a good day and a pleasant tomorrow.